if you have a Bible, either a printed copy like I have right here, or you have a digital copy on your phone, I want to encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I found an article this week about Ted Turner. Ted Turner is the media mogul who created CNN, TBS, TNT. He's a multi-billionaire and he's been a very outspoken atheist since his early 20s, but he didn't start out that way. When he was in high school, he was very religious and he even told his youth group at one point in his high school years that he felt like God was calling him to be a missionary. But then when he was 15 years old, his sister was diagnosed with lupus, a degenerative tissue disease, and she was racked with pain, constantly vomiting. Her screams filled the house. Ted would regularly come home. He would hold her hand. He would try to comfort her, and he would pray that God would heal her. And she would ask God that she would die. Finally, after several years of struggling with that disease, she succumbed to it and she died. Ed Turner, Ted's father, remarked at that point in time, if that's the type of God God is, I don't want anything to do with him. And Ted lost his faith at that moment. Ted Turner said, I was taught that God was love and God was powerful, and I couldn't understand how someone so innocent could be made or allowed to suffer so. On March the 5th, 1963, Ed Turner, Ted's father, went downstairs, ate breakfast with his wife, then went upstairs to their bedroom, got a 38 caliber revolver from their nightstand, put it in his mouth, and killed himself. It was at that point that Ted Turner closed the door on faith. He said the same thing that his father did. He said, if that's the type of God God is, I don't want anything to do with him. C.S. Lewis was a strong, devout Christian when his wife developed cancer. She eventually died from that cancer after struggling for several years. And this is what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, I can't understand why God is always there when things are going well, telling you what he expects of you. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. What do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sign of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? C.S. Lewis wrote this a number of years after he was following Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis made it through this, and ultimately his faith grew stronger, but I think he articulated what a number of people struggle with, even people who follow Jesus. Why does it seem that, that when I call to you for help, you don't respond? 
you don't hear. You don't answer. Now, the story I want us to look at this morning in God's Word is probably one of the most well-known stories in the entire Word of God. It's the story where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who who believes in me shall never die. It's the story where Jesus raises Lazarus back to life. It's the final of the seven miracles that Jesus performs in in the Gospel of John. And each of these miracles that Jesus performs in this Gospel are for one purpose, one intent. And that is to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And this one is the most powerful of all. Jesus raises the dead to life. If you can't believe that Jesus is the Son of God after he does this, then When are you going to ever believe? But I think there are some other truths that we need to see in this story. Truths that I think can help us when we are going through difficult times. So what I want us to do is just kind of walk through this story and tear it apart and let God speak to us. And let's begin with verse 1. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend, or in the Greek, the word is phileo, the one you love is very sick. Then as we begin this story, it becomes obvious that the family of Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very close to Jesus. We read about them several times in Scripture. We're told that this is the Mary who would later in chapter 12 anoint Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and wipe his feet with her hair. It's no secret that this family loved Jesus. And it's no secret that Jesus loved this family. And at this point, Lazarus is sick. But as the story reveals, Lazarus isn't just sick, he's very sick. He's sick to the point of death. And so Mary and Martha call Jesus because they know Jesus is the only one who can help them in this hour of need. Now let me just tell you right now, if you are struggling with a need in your life, you need to do exactly what Mary and Martha did. You need to call on Jesus. He is the one that can help you. And so whatever you're facing, whatever you're hurt, whatever your heartbreak, call on Jesus. But it's right here in the story that this story takes an unusual twist. Listen to what it says, verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, that Lazarus was sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now it's here that, that Jesus tells us that he's going to use this sickness for a purpose. He's going to use this sickness to bring glory to himself. Did you know that that God can use everything you face in life to bring glory to his name. And, and, and that's really your ultimate purpose in life. Your purpose is to bring glory to his name. And, and God wants to use everything that happens in your life to bring glory to his name. The good, the bad, and, and even the ugly. And, and in this story, 
Jesus says, I'm going to take this terrible event, this tragedy that is happening in this family's life, and I'm going to receive glory from this. But what Jesus does next doesn't make any sense. Instead of going to Bethany and healing Lazarus, or healing Lazarus from a distance, something he had done before, Jesus stays right where he's at for two days. He, he delays. Now, I would think, as I read this scripture, it would read like this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he rushed quickly so he could be by their side and he could heal him. Now, that's what I would expect to read but that's not what we read we read that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so he stayed where he was at for two more days don't miss this Jesus loved this family the word that is used here is agape Jesus loved them with a heavenly love he had a deep love for this family and yet he stayed where he was for two more days let me ask you a question have you ever wanted God to do something you've needed God to do something right now in the moment but he didn't do it if you've ever experienced anything like that, then you can relate to what this family is going through right now. They needed Jesus. They believed that Jesus could help. They called on him. But instead of coming and helping, doing what he could do, he stayed right where he was at. And he did nothing. Now notice what it says beginning in verse 7. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And then let's skip on to verse 11. It says, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go. Now, the disciples believed that Jesus was delaying going to Bethany because Bethany was only about two miles from Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem were all of these people that wanted to kill Jesus. They had already tried to stone him one time, and, and the religious leaders were plotting to kill him. So the disciples thought, well, the reason Jesus isn't going there is because it's dangerous. So then Jesus says, our friend Lazarus is asleep, and, and I'm going to wake him up. And they didn't understand. They thought Lazarus was asleep. And so they thought, well, if he's asleep, that means that he's getting better. He's, he's burning off the fever. He, he's, he's on the road to recovery. They didn't understand you see what Jesus was doing here, and don't miss this, Jesus was redefining death for those of us who know him. You see, you need to understand that death has no hold on us. Jesus was saying that for those of us who know him, those of us who believe in him, death is no different than sleep. We go to sleep at night and 
We wake up the next morning. We're not afraid of going to sleep because we're going to wake up the next morning and we should face death the same way. Death is not the end. But the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. So Jesus said, Lazarus has died. Jesus delayed. He delayed for two days. And now Lazarus is dead. You know what I've discovered? It's God's delays that perplex us. It's God's delays that trouble us, that confound us, that confuse us. It's, It's God's delays that cause us to doubt. God's delays are hard to understand. But what we need to understand is there's always a reason behind God's delays. Remember the fact that our Lord delays means he may have a purpose beyond your understanding. Sometimes God allows crisis in our lives, not because of anything we fail to do, but simply because of something he is about to do. Sometimes when God delays, we discover why. At other times, God delays and we never know why. Think about it for a moment. Here's Mary and Martha. Jesus has delayed and their brother has died. Have you ever ever felt like that Jesus just didn't care? Have you ever felt like that you were crying out to the only one you felt could really help and he was no help at all? I imagine that's how Mary and Martha felt. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus' delay is not Jesus' denial. Just because there is a delay in what Jesus does doesn't mean that Jesus is denying what you ask. I want you to understand something. Jesus will never deny a child of God. He's going to always give you an answer. Sometimes it may not be the answer you want. Sometimes it may not be the answer that you understood. Sometimes it may be an answer that is delayed like in this story. But if you are a child of God, Jesus will always give you an answer. So understand God's delay. It's not a bad thing. God may be using it for his glory and for our good. Now notice what it says next. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, I like Thomas. I like Thomas so much that I named our youngest son Matthew Thomas. Now, you may think, why in the world are you naming your son after a doubter? Well, because I I really don't think that's how we need to remember Thomas. I think we need to give Thomas a break. Jesus had just come back to life. And Thomas simply said, well, I'm not going to believe it until I see him. Uh, And until I I put my hands in his feet and and in his hands, those holes, I'm not going to believe. You say, well, the other disciples, they believed and they didn't see. Oh, no, they didn't. Many of the disciples doubted and questioned until they saw Jesus. Just like Thomas did. I believe we've given Thomas a bum rap because in this story, we don't see Thomas the doubter. 
We see Thomas the devoted. We see Thomas the daring. We see Thomas the one who is willing to walk with Jesus in the face of death. We see Thomas who is willing to die with Jesus rather than live without Jesus. You see, when we daringly follow Jesus, Jesus will use us to accomplish great things. I want you to hear me today. Our Lord doesn't call us to play it safe. He doesn't call you to swim in the shallow end of the pool. He calls you to live your life with a reckless abandonment for his glory and his honor. He calls you to do whatever he calls you to do, regardless of the cost, regardless of where it leads. And understand, your doubts don't have to define you. Because though many people want to define Thomas as the doubter, I look at Thomas as the devoted. Why? Because Thomas, just like the other disciples, he gave the rest of his life serving Jesus. And though the Bible doesn't tell us the end of many of the disciples, tradition tells us that Thomas died in India sharing the gospel at the hands of spears being thrust into him. Thomas, the daring. Well, let's go and let's die with him. And I think that needs to be the word that each and every one of us say when Jesus calls us to do something. But let's move on. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus was already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. So when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. It probably happened like this on day one when Jesus got the message that, that Lazarus was sick. Lazarus had already died. On day two, the people went back, and they found that Lazarus was dead. Day three, Jesus stayed where he was at. Day four, Jesus went to Bethany. And when he went there, he found a number of people that had come from Jerusalem, the place where everybody was trying to kill him, to console Mary and Martha. Verse 20 says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear the disappointment in, in Martha's words? Lord, if if you had shown up, my brother would still be alive. Perhaps you can relate to what Martha is feeling there. Perhaps there's been some point in your life where you've cried out in agony to God for God to show up just this once, and God didn't show up. And you were disappointed, you were dissatisfied with Jesus. That's how Martha felt. And it was at this point that Jesus and Martha have this amazing conversation. Martha says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. 
Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. She told him, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And Martha knew and believed in the resurrection. She believed with all her heart that Lazarus would, would rise again at the resurrection. And she even believed that Jesus had the power to do anything that he wanted to do. It was here that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Now think about that. You believe in Jesus, you'll never die. Spoiler alert. The end of the story, Jesus raises Lazarus back to life. If you don't know the story, I'm sorry. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. But you know what happens later on in Lazarus' life? He dies. He, he dies. And yet Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me and lives in me will never, ever die. What is Jesus saying? He's saying there that death, what you define as death, no longer has a hold on you because of who I am and what I'm about to do. It's here that we see the second disappointment. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him, and the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave. So hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Did you get that? Both Mary and Martha said the exact same thing. Lord, if if you'd have showed up, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, you, you healed a blind man. You healed a lame man that you didn't even know. They were complete strangers. And you couldn't show up and heal our brother? Lord, if you'd have been here. Lazarus would still be here. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that way? You're crying out to God. Asking God to do only what he can do. With tear-filled eyes, you're begging, you're pleading, and nothing happens I want to give you a truth you need to write this down when our focus is on the temporal we will always have disappointments write it down when our focus is on the temporal we'll always have disappointments because this world in which we live is filled with pain and suffering and heartache and disappointment and guess what? In the end, we all die. I mean, unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die. I'm sorry. I hate to burst your bubble. I hate to spoil the party, but you're going to die. 
And there's going to be a point in your life when you are mourning and you are grieving because someone you love has died. And there's going to be a point in the future if Jesus tarries when you're dead and there are going to be people around your dead, lifeless body mourning and crying and weeping because you're dead. When we focus on the eternal or the temporal, we're going to have disappointments. That's why we don't focus on the temporal. We focus on the eternal while living in the temporal. We seek to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, but we recognize this world is not our home. It was never meant to be. The apostle Paul said, set your mind on things above. If you don't want to live with disappointment and heartache and pain, then get your mind and your eyes off of this world. Because as long as they're on this world, you're going to live in constant disappointment. Let's move on. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people welling with her, a deep anger welled up within her and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Now, depending on your translation, there are some phrases in your Bible that are going to say, use the word groaned and troubled, perhaps deeply moved. And those words don't mean groan or just being troubled or being deeply moved. The words mean anger. The words mean snorting with anger. That word deeply troubled, that's what the word means. It means to snort because of anger. One translator said that that this verse gives the connotation of an animal snorting in anger as it's about to charge. Now keep that in your mind. Jesus is snorting with anger. And someone said it's like an animal snorting as it's about to charge. John Calvin said this word indicates not sympathy so much as Jesus preparing to enter a ring like a wrestler preparing for the contest. He groans because of the violent tyranny of death which he has come to overcome. And now death is standing before his eyes. You see what is about to take place? Jesus is about to enter the ring. He's about to call out sin and death and give them a whooping. He is giving them a taste of what he is about to do on the cross. And so Jesus' anger is at sin and death. And what sin and death brings to our life as human beings But then we see Jesus broken because of our pain. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. 
Now, I've struggled with that at times because Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus. Why did he weep? I mean, he knew Lazarus was about to come back to life. Some people say, well, maybe he, he wept because he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back into this sin-filled world. And that would certainly cause him to weep. But I don't believe that's why Jesus was weeping. I believe Jesus was weeping because he was feeling our pain. He was experiencing our brokenheartedness. I want you to know something this morning. Jesus knows your hurt and pain, and he hurts with you. Because he not only knows it, he feels it. He experiences it. When you're going through pain and heartache, he is right there with you. He is a high priest who knows our pain, who knows our sorrow. Understand, Jesus loves you more than you will ever know this side of eternity. If we're saved, we know Jesus loves us. I mean, we, we've seen the cross, we've seen that act of love, and we know it's love, and yet... I, I don't think until we see him face to face that we're ever going to really fully comprehend the depth of his love for each and every one of us. He loves us. Verse 39, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe, what do you do with your impossible situations? You take them to Jesus and you believe. You see, belief is the vehicle through which the power of God is displayed. Many say seeing is believing, but the Bible teaches that believing results in our seeing. Do you believe Jesus is powerful enough to forgive your most wicked, evil sin? Do you believe Jesus is strong enough to change your life at the very core of who you are? Do you believe that Jesus has the ability to meet your each and every need? Oh, brother and sister, he does to each and every one of those. Verse 41, so they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus took, looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. The people did as Jesus said. They rolled the stone away. Jesus prayed a quick prayer. Then he cried out for Lazarus to come out. And sure enough, this man who had been dead for four days, bound in these grave clothes, came walking out of that grave. And did you hear what Jesus said? Take those clothes off of him. Oh, brother and sister, listen to me. This is an aside. But those grave clothes, they were a part of his past. 
Jesus was giving him a future. Jesus was giving him a whole new wardrobe. And that's what Jesus does to us when he comes into our life and saves us. Understand, nothing is too hard for Jesus. Forgiving your greatest sin, changing you from the core and setting you free from those addictions and struggles, meeting that need that seems impossible to meet, he can do it all. Now, you would think the story would stop right here. Be a feel good story, wouldn't it? We would all clap and cheer and go, Way to go, Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Notice what it says Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Many believed. Now, now understand, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus just raised a guy who had been dead for four days. He was stinking. He was smelling. He was dead, dead. Jesus raised him back to life. And some believed. But some didn't. I mean, can you get that? Some didn't believe. They refused. They saw the miracles and they refused. Listen, I don't know where you are today in your journey with Jesus. But I'm here to tell you. If you really want proof that Jesus is who he said he is, he'll give you that proof. Just read his word. Open up your heart. He'll give you that proof. If you're really seeking after him. And yet the tragedy is our world is filled with people who simply refuse to believe. In spite of all of the evidence, they refuse. So they went to the Pharisees, and and this is what we read. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together, their, their religious high court. What are we going to do, they ask each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. They knew what he was doing was supernatural. They knew what he was doing was miraculous. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. They were more concerned with their way of life than they were with whether Jesus was who he said he was. And is that the problem with many of us today? We read God's word and and we become convinced that it says that if we give our life to Jesus, it's going to change everything. And it does. (laughs) Jesus saves us by grace. But when we accept that grace, it changes everything. Everything. And we come to that moment where we understand to accept Jesus changes everything. And we go, I don't want to change everything. I like my life the way it is. I like my habits. I I like the way I'm living. I, I I like it. I don't want anything to change. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. 
You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation, but not only for the nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. Caiaphas, the high priest, he was speaking and he thought he was just speaking a word. We need to kill Jesus so that our nation can be spared. But little did he know that he was speaking a word from God Almighty. A word that this one man, Jesus, would die so that everyone could be saved. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died so that you could be saved so that I could be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a fresh start, so we could have a new beginning. And yet, the overwhelming majority didn't want it. They would rather silence Jesus. You see, you need to understand today that there's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. You're either for him or against him. You can't straddle the fence. And that's what a lot of people try to do today. We say, I love Jesus, but I like the world. And Jesus said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You can't straddle the fence when it comes to Jesus. You're either all in or you're nothing. That's why Jesus said, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He talks about a divided heart heart you can't have it there were some who believed they were all in and they gave it their all because they believed in Jesus but there were others who didn't so where are you where are you this morning I'm afraid that our churches in America today are filled with people who have a head knowledge of Jesus but they've never given their life to Jesus. Don't let that be you. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit of God is prompting your spirit that you haven't really surrendered your life to Jesus and trusted him to be your Savior and your Lord, then I beg you today, swallow your pride, leave your fear behind, and give your life to Jesus. You'll never, ever regret it. But maybe you're here and you're going through a heck of a difficult time. I know difficult times. I know what it is to you lose a son suddenly. I know what it is to sit by the bed of my father as he is dying. I know all of that. And yet I know that the temporal is not going to be my focus. The eternal is. And so I can say in the midst of whatever I face, praise the name of Jesus. Because he is the resurrection and the life. And when we believe in him, even when we face the worst that this world has to throw at us, we'll never die because we're with Jesus. And so if you're going through a tough time now, 
man, cast it on Jesus because he cares for you. And if you think he's denied you, he hasn't. Oh, his delay, delay may be for a purpose, even for your good. Just trust him. I want you to stand with me right now. And we're going to pray a prayer. I'm gonna, we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to be down front. Pastor Scott's going to be down front. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, please don't hesitate. You come. Come to one of us and say, I need to give my life to Jesus. And we'll tell you how. But our altar is open. And if you need to pray, you come. You may want to pray for someone else. You may want to pray for yourself. You may want to wrestle with God about something that's going on now. But our altar time is for you. Dear God, I pray today that you'll have your way in each and every one of our lives this morning. Lord, I pray that you will remove me. And Lord, you won't allow me to be a stumbling block from what you want to do in anyone's life. Speak. And Father, I pray we'll listen. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our altar is open. You come as we sit.